All right, so we have Lindsay Scholes from Lindsay Scholes Studio. Lindsay, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I guess for context for the listeners, uh, why don't we kind of get into who you are, you know, what you're about, you know, a brief, as, as brief an intro as you want to do. Well, I am Lindsay Scholes. I am the founder of Lindsay Scholes Studio, which is a creative studio focused on offering brand design, web design, and creative content creation. Um, for small businesses. So I have owned the studio for three years now. We launched in 2017 and it has been a wild ride, but I've gotten to meet a lot of interesting people along the way like you. So I'm excited to share a little bit more about what I do with your listeners. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the origin story. So uh, did you have a day job or or maybe a, a better question? What do you consider yourself? Are you a designer? Are you a marketer? Are you a, a brand strategist? How do you kind of categorize yourself? Sure. So I really just think of myself as a creative, but really a lot of my day-to-day -day work entails both design and strategy and digital marketing, which is what I love. Um, I get to pair my love for brand and web design while also guiding my clients through email marketing and a lot of their social strategies. So it's really a cohesive approach that I take to helping them with their overall brand and digital presence. Um, it's great. You know, it, I kind of get to use all of the creative hats that I enjoy. And this role is one that I've definitely tailored specifically to my strengths. So it's been really great to just, you know, get comfortable with working with clients and just see where we can take their brand while working together. Now tell me about the origin story a little bit. Did you, was this kind of, you know, you said you started this three years ago. Was this kind of the mm -hmm. the go-to thing or did you have a day job before this? Did you go to school for this kind of stuff? Sure. So when I was in college, I was actually a journalism major and that was my plan my whole life. I had always been a natural writer and really planned to work for a woman's magazine and go and live in New York and take that path. Um, my senior year, I had a change of heart because I had taken a few design courses in addition to my journalism classes and really fell in love with layout design. So I actually started working in Atlanta in advertising, and then I moved to Denver and worked in digital marketing, marketing there. And now I currently live in St. Louis, and I actually had a corporate digital marketing role here when I first moved here about five years ago. And all the while, since I had graduated college, I freelanced on the side. So that's when the initial idea really popped into my mind that one day I would love to have my own creative studio. But of course, when you're 22 and just out of college, and like me, someone who had student loans, maybe starting that business right off the bat wasn't a realistic idea. So freelancing outside of my nine to five was a great way to get that experience and working with clients and really honing in on my design style and seeing how I liked working with different clients and what industries I naturally gravitated toward. And after freelancing for five years, it felt right to hop off and, you know, deviate from the corporate career path and launch my own studio. So at the time I had enough freelance work to where I felt confident that I could match or exceed my corporate income, which I ended up doing, and go off on my own. So that's just the gist of things. It's a long, long story. I won't bore you with the whole story, but um, that's the condensed version of how I wound up owning my creative studio full time. In your senior year of college, tell me about that change of heart. Why, you know, was it something you came across? Was it something that, um, were you just bored with your current major or like kind of why, what's saying... You know, what was what kind of saying to you so much about design and layouts? Yeah. So, you know, while I loved journalism and while I still do, I write on the side outside of my creative studio. 
I really saw the landscape of journalism changing. Um, this was back in 2013. So at the time, a lot of the print magazines were moving to a digital only platform. And me being who I was back then, I just loved having a magazine in my hands. And I couldn't really see myself going to work for a publication that was only based online. So that had something to do with the change of heart. But you know, I had also fallen in love with the design and the process. And while I still loved magazines, I found myself kind of being inspired by layouts that I saw within magazines rather than the words on the pages. So that's really where that change of heart started. And I thought that, you know, a good way to get experience as a creative would be to work for digital and ad agencies to just get some good footing in terms of what it looks like to work with clients and then also to see how designers implemented their processes within that agency setting. So you kind of see journalism shifting away. It's going all digital and you kind of wanted a little bit to stay in the print world or kind of stay in, you know, um, not have everything be digital or everything, you know, you can't put your hands on it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. When you, when you went to the next job, you're at a digital ad agency. Uh, was that, did you see that? I mean, cause it's like our careers are kind of, they go back and forth. There's never like a straight line. Did you see the ad agency as a stepping stone or just sort of a placeholder uh, or kind of like almost how some people see like a lost leader in their business? Like, look, I, this isn't going to be the most fun experience, but I know if I'm here, I'm going to learn a lot. What did you kind of how did you kind of frame up the this first job in, in the digital ad space? How did you kind of how did you frame that in your mind? Yeah. So, you know, I did approach it as a big learning experience. I approached it with a really positive attitude. And, you know, I feel like when you're fresh out of college, you just run after any job and you want to give it your all and do your best, which is exactly what I did. Um, I still tell people to this day that even though that was my first job and now that I run a business, that was still the hardest job that I've ever, ever had because it really required me to throw myself in full force from day one. And I'm lucky in that, you know, as an entry-level account coordinator, I was given a lot of responsibility and a lot of autonomy in terms of communicating with clients, managing projects, hitting deadlines, working with the creative team to communicate what the client wanted. So I always credit that job to something that really taught me how to run my own creative studio today. Um, I just learned so many invaluable things within that role. So I like to tell people when they're right out of college, definitely don't just look at each job that might not be ideal as a stepping stone. Definitely embrace it and give it your all because you never know what type of skill set you're going to take away from that job. And you'll probably be surprised when you look back and realize how much of what you learned there is actually skills and things that you're implementing in your day-to-day -day now. I'm trying to figure out like your credentials in college. You kind of came from a journalism background and then here you are trying mm -hmm. to get into this ad agency. You know, a lot of people right now were, were transitioning, we're trying to get new jobs or we're trying to change our identities, so to speak, like maybe we want to make a career shift. How do you, you know, how did you kind of convince uh, or how were you able to kind of stand out with the ad agency and saying like, you know, and they look at you and they say, well, you have a journalism background that doesn't apply to marketing or that doesn't, how do you, what, what would some advice you would give to like uh, someone who is trying to make a career change or someone who's trying to, ha who has this kind of, have, have these unrelated credentials, not to say that they're unqualified, but they have these kind of tangent credentials and now they're trying to shift into a career and then, you know, kind of tie that back into how you did it at the, at the ad agency. 
Sure. So, you know, I would say at the time I was lucky in that I was a recent college grad and I also went to a liberal arts school that really gave me the autonomy over my curriculum to where I could take courses outside of my major. So in addition to my journalism classes, I had taken a few advertising courses in school. I had taken some graphic design courses. I had taken some business courses and digital marketing. So going into that role, they could see that I had some experience and some interest in that field. Um, outside of that, you know, I was a big self-starter in college, so I had taken on some digital marketing and advertising-based internships in the summer just to get some experience outside of journalism because I knew that the industry was shifting in a way that I didn't necessarily know if that was a path for me, so I just wanted to leave my options open and keep my knowledge pretty broad. So I would say now, you know, even if you're not in college or you're not a recent grad, look into ways that you can continue to learn. Um, you know, one example is online courses. If you're interested in a certain industry, don't be afraid to invest in an online course and, you know, dedicate maybe one or two or three hours a week to learning about an industry that may be something of interest to you. Also, don't be afraid to reach out to people in industries that currently have the dream job to ask them a little bit about what they do, how they got where they were, because more often than not, when you reach out to people, they want to help you and they want to see you succeed. So I currently get those emails myself from people who may be making these career shifts or just coming out of school, and I absolutely love answering all of their questions. So don't be afraid to just try new things. Um, don't also feel like you're locked into one industry forever, because I think now, more than ever, with the world changing and shifting like it is, it's the time to make a change if you feel like you need to. Let's get into, I've known about your work for a couple months now, and you know I always love mm -hmm. visiting your website and seeing your work. I want to know about your design process specifically and kind of how... You know, I think everyone has their own methods or we've kind of taken a few pieces from every, you know, famous creator or, or cool design, other design studios out there that we love. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me kind of first how you developed your design methods, like who are you inspired by? What are some kind of awesome accounts that you kind of look up to um, or, you know, kind of steal from, or, you know, <laughs> I, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, I'm not really inspired by any particular creative or business owner, but I will say that more often than not, I'm most inspired by looking through magazines or books or catalogs that I even receive in the mail, just to stay on top of color and typography and design trends. So it's so funny. I have a closet in my office that's just full of catalogs and flyers and, you know, print materials that I've held on to for years that I'll look to when I'm kind of feeling creatively blocked when I'm designing a new project. Um, so that's really where I look to for inspiration is just interesting print pieces and ways that design has been shown in print. Um, but I would say in terms of, you know, some great accounts to mimic or places to look when you're starting a new project, I really enjoy looking at creative projects shared on Behance. I think that's a great place to start. Um, you know, in the same vein is Dribble, which is a great community where graphic designers can go to share their projects and be inspired by others. And then another source that I enjoy looking at is called Mind Sparkle Mag, which is a similar place where designers can go, share their branding work, share their web design work. And that's just a great place where I'll go just to get inspired and see what else is out there. Because I think sometimes you can become comfortable falling into your own design style, which is great, but Sometimes it's nice to shake it up a little bit and offer something new to a client if they're looking for an aesthetic or a style that falls a little bit outside of what you're comfortable with. Walk me through now your design process when 
you know, when a, fine, a client first comes to your door, they first come in your inbox, uh, how are you, because I think, I think something like this could help other creative businesses try to figure out how to set up their design process or how to set up their uh, client onboarding process. What are you doing when a client first comes to your inbox? How are you kind of vetting them? How are you qualifying them to kind of make sure that there's like this uh, right fit between the two of you? Yeah, that's a great question. And I agree that this is something that really doesn't get talked about enough. Um, you know, when I get an initial inquiry from a client, we at first, you know, just want to, of course, make sure that we have the availability to work with them. Um, this year, especially, I really paired back and have worked with less clients the clients that I really, really enjoy working with. So we want to make sure that their timeline to launch is something that we can work with. And from there, I take a look at what industry they are a part of. So my ideal clients are lifestyle, wellness, and e-commerce brands that are owned by women. So typically, if they fall outside of that, I will have a quick conversation with them via email and refer them to a designer or creative within my network that would be a better fit for who they are. Um, so I just, you know, this year, especially I'm very particular about who I work with. And I think that's great, but I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. But from there, if it feels like a fit, we will set up a call and just get on the phone for 10 to 15 minutes to where I can learn more about their goals for their brand or their website. And this is a really important discussion to have just because we want to be sure that a, I can help them with what they need, and B, that we're on the same page in terms of design goals and overarching business goals. So if all of that aligns, once we get off of that call, I send through a detailed proposal outlining what their project will entail, a sensitive timeline for the work, and then what next steps look like. So once the proposal gets approved, we handle all of the legal documents, your client agreement, we get your invoices all set up, and I also share a pretty comprehensive creative brief with my clients that they fill out before we get started on any design work to ensure that I'm understanding who their ideal clients and customers are, what they would like to see in the overall aesthetic of the design, and learn more about who they are so where we can incorporate all of those elements into their brand or web design to make sure that they're happy with the result at the end of the day. Do you find that some clients don't exactly know what they want or they kind of have something in mind that they think is the right thing and then you kind of have to, you know, feng shui, jujitsu, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like like redirect them to kind of like, well, you say you're really concerned that you need a new logo, but maybe the logo is fine and maybe you need to really focus on building a better website. Like how do you kind of, I won't call those stubborn clients, but like clients where you just have to kind of, um, they think the first problem is the main problem when really it's a deeper problem. How do you kind of uncover that in those conversations? Yeah. So that does happen frequently. And, you know, that's where I really have to step into my own expertise as the designer and help guide them in a kind and caring way to a resolution. Um, one thing that has really helped me with these conversations is repeatedly reminding the client that we're not necessarily designing for their aesthetic, but we're designing to attract the interest of their ideal clients and customers. And when you bring that up in the conversation, I think that that helps reset expectations. And it also takes a little bit of the pressure off of the client to feel like they're designing for themselves. So once we align with that, the project always flows a lot better, but just having that conversation and saying, hey, you know, I know that you said this, but I think that this is what would work for those ideal clients and customers instead. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's great if you love your website and you feel like it feels like you with the client, 
But if it's not attracting those ideal clients and customers, then we as the creatives have not served our clients in the best way possible. So that's really the reset conversation that I like to have when we do run into those tricky situations. And nine times out of 10, it always works. And it always ends up, you know, resulting in a really beautiful project. How have you gone about positioning yourself? I'm not trying to think how to say it. Like how to position yourself in that relationship where, because I think a problem a lot of creatives face, whether they're designers or photographers or filmmakers, that they end up being this, uh, I call it the vendor status, that they just mm -hmm. kind of get told what to do. They get told how high, how wide it needs to be, what it needs to be, this this color, the fonts need to be bigger. How do you, you know, and a lot of a lot of creatives end up just kind of going with that and they're, they get frustrated trying to understand, like, how can I charge more? How can the client, how can I get the client to listen to them? How have you gone about, uh, you know, skating past that and appearing to be the authority figure, you know, showing the client that you understand uh, more than just design, more than just, you know, I know how to work Illustrator. I know how to work Photoshop. How, you know, how do you go about kind of demonstrating that authority? Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of that starts with setting the expectations with the initial call. So I always let clients know that my design process is incredibly collaborative. But at the end of the day, I want them to trust me and that in hiring me and investing their budget with me to work together, that they can trust that I'm going to make design decisions that are only in the best interest of themselves and their clients or customers. So just establishing that trust up front really helps. And one thing that I've added into my process this year, which I think has also helped kind of settle some nerves if someone has never worked with a designer before, or just to gain that confidence with the client before we get started, is sharing what I call a creative discovery document on our project kickoff call. So this is basically a four to five page PDF where we reiterate to the client what they've told us in their creative brief. And we review that together and go line by line to be sure that we're on the same page. And we also share with them preliminary color palettes, mood boards, and typography selections. So they're getting a bit of a preview of what's to come in their brand or website design before we even get started. And nine times out of 10, they're incredibly excited and totally on board with what we show them in this presentation. So I think going that extra step has definitely helped streamline, you know, the initial process of getting started and also build that initial trust with the client before they even see their first concept. And that's something that I have just started this year. And looking back, I can't believe that I have not implemented that sooner in my business, because if I had over the last two years, I feel like I would have overcome a lot of hurdles with clients a lot sooner. But, you know, again, um, your process is always evolving. It's always going to change. And I'm sure that by this time next year, it's going to look even different than it does now. But so far, that's what's really helped me establish that trust and that collaborative um, relationship with the clients I work with. So with a creative brief, it kind of stops the argument or stops the debate before it even happens? Or um, you're not using your words to convince the client of what is the right thing to do, you're kind of using their own words, not against them, but you're you're using their own words to kind of point back and say, look, this is what we decided on a couple months ago. Does this still, is this still what you talked about a couple months ago? Absolutely. I think that, you know, using the client's words and just framing everything in their point of reference has really helped me. And like you said, it's not like we're accusing them and saying, oh, but you said this when we started two months ago. It's more of just a friendly reminder that, hey, you know, these were the goals that we initially set when working together. 
Um, if they've changed, let's definitely maybe rebrief or take a pause. But if not, we need to stay true to what we initially agreed on because ultimately this is what's going to help your business appeal to those ideal clients and customers once we're done working together. Okay, I'll shift gears with this question now asking about – I want to know about the design side of things with mood boards and color palettes and logos because to the to like mm -hmm. the untrained eye – it seems like designers are just picking colors that look nice and or picking a logo that looks cool and then just kind of getting the client to kind of agree to that. How like what separates just a, a regular designer who does that, who is good at choosing color palettes and choosing the right font pairings? What separates them from the great designers that are able to translate the color palette, the fonts? Uh, so that it aligns with the brand. I think that a lot of that really starts with understanding who the client is trying to communicate to and then going off of that in terms of color palette choices and typography choices and then also taking into account their goals. You know, what is their goal in terms of what emotion or connection they want to evoke with their audience? All of that is going to go into the psychology of the color and typography. Um, you know, just to give you an example, I'm currently working with a therapist based in Los Angeles who has a therapy practice but wants to deviate from all of the norms associated with therapy. So think, you know, when we think therapy branding, we're thinking of probably script fonts and soft colors like soft blues and purples and maybe a buttery yellow that feels calm. She wants to flip that on its head and do the exact opposite. So with her, we're working with some bold, unexpected display fonts with some tweaked custom typography and some really loud color palettes that are going to attract the attention of the client. So it's funny when we have those initial conversations to hear, you know, about the colors that they're naturally drawn to, because more often than not, those colors do, you know, translate into evoking the emotions that we want to evoke within whoever's going to interact with their brand in the future. So I think, again, it goes back to having those conversations with the client and educating them on color theory, you know, how colors can evoke emotion when used properly and with the typography. Again, just having the conversation about what look and feel you're going for and why you would choose certain typefaces to evoke that emotion and look and feel. Do you find yourself having to because, I mean, that, that therapist client sounds really awesome. Like, they're kind of leading the charge. Do you find yourself on the other side trying to, like, uh, add a little courage to your clients? Like, you're not like you're dragging them, but you're just like, no, 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 trust me. Like, this color palette and this typography is going to be, like, what's really going to sell your brand. Do you find yourself, like, kind of um, giving them some courage uh, like when it comes to their brand, because uh, you know their own brand, their business is special to them. It's their baby, um, and you're kind of putting a new face on it. Uh, how do you go about kind of giving them that courage to make the leap and and make the next step? Yeah, definitely. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I really saw my whole design process as a collaborative relationship with the client. So if they do mention that they want to appeal to a certain audience, and if I agree with that, I want to affirm that just to give them that confidence and get them excited to work together. Um, you know, on the same token, if they're making a decision that I feel like does not make sense for the ideal client or customer that they're trying to reach, I'm not afraid to let them know, hey, you know, maybe we should rethink this before we take this any further because X, Y, Z. 
um, you know, just being completely transparent. Sometimes it's hard for me to push back on clients, especially when it's someone who I feel like I've really struck up a great rapport with because you never want a relationship to go sour. But again, more often than not, you know, they appreciate the pushback and it gives them a different perspective than what they were initially thinking to say, hey, you know, maybe I was wrong in thinking this. Let's see how this goes and regroup after that to see how I feel. But, um, you know, that's also a part of my job, too, is not only guiding them in a positive direction when we agree, but also guiding them away from decisions that may be detrimental to their brand. That is I've I've had that same exact thing happen in my business with clients. It's uh, there's this kind of there could be this fear that if I say the wrong thing or if I say something offensive that they're not going to pay the last half of the money or that they're going to or that they're going to go somewhere right. else um is is that a fear you ever have with your clients or is that something uh is that something is there a way in a design business that you can structure it so that doesn't happen or uh does that mean like get all your money up front to avoid that kind of fear of withholding crucial information yeah, you know, I think that more often than not, just approaching those conversations from a place of kindness and wanting to help is what really determines how it's received by the client. Um, you know, I always want to come to the client as a collaborator and someone that wants to see them, you know, happy and excited about the end result once we're done working together. So I would never approach those conversations from a standpoint of this is what needs to happen because I said so. Um, and I do know that some people take that approach. It's all in, you know, how you value working with your clients. But um, in terms of payment, you know, I have the conversation up front with the clients that, 50% is due up front and then 50% is due once we're done working together. And I'm very lucky in that even when I have had to have these difficult conversations that we've never, um, you know, ended on a sour note or I've never not received payment. But I do know that that's something that definitely happens because I've talked to other designers about it. Um, but again, I think it's all in how you approach the conversation. Of course, And of course, you're always going to have one problem client that's just still not going to take that feedback well, even if you approach it in the nicest way possible. And that's just something that you have to work through. Um, you know, like I said, I'm pretty lucky that most of my clients have been great, but I still had a few that, you know, were not so great. That just happens. And it's no reflection on you as a creative or a professional. It's just what happens when you're working with people. Um, so just get used to having those difficult conversations, approach them with kindness, and don't be afraid to back down when you know that something's in the best interest of your client. When you're kind of designing a new look for a client, you're designing a new, say, color palette or just kind of a new take on the brand. Uh, you know, you said you're looking at magazines, you're looking at books, you're looking at Behance. What is, who has to play the parent in the room sometimes when it comes to design trends, when it comes to uh, things that are evergreen, like these are tried and true practices versus this is what's trendy? Uh, do you find yourself being the parent that kind of is tamping down client uh, excitement or clients coming to you saying they found the super trendy thing and you're trying to like stay, uh, you know, stay on the straight and narrow path of like these are I know these are tried and true practices. Let's stick with these. Yeah. So that's another delicate balance, um, you know, because I do work with primarily women and a lot of women who work in modern lifestyle industries. 
a lot of the times they will come to me with a specific trend in mind and sometimes we'll agree that it makes sense for the brand and oftentimes we'll have to say, hey, you know, maybe this is just something that's of the moment but won't necessarily grow with your brand five years down the road. And because this is a significant investment of your money and your time while working together, I would maybe back off of moving forward with that or choose to incorporate it within the brand in a very small, subtle way. Um, so I have had to have those conversations a lot. And to be honest with you, you know, I fall into this rut of kind of loving some design trends from time to time, and I'll try to incorporate them into brand designs, and they just don't make sense. So I'm just as guilty, but, you know, as the professional and as the creative, I like to stay on top of this with clients just to kind of navigate them away from trends when possible if they don't make sense for their brand. Um, you know, overall, when it comes to branding, I like to keep, keep things pretty minimal and simple and just make sure that their brand will grow with their business over time. And I think that caving to too many trends or including too many trends within one brand identity um, will make it feel dated and a little bit forced, you know, maybe even a year or two down the road. Uh, let's talk 2020. What are you seeing uh, in general? What are kind of some trends that you're seeing that you're really gravitating towards? Uh, and what are some trends out there that say, you're trying to maybe you're taking on the the task of designing your own brand or rebranding yourself. Uh, I don't know if I'd recommend that, but uh, what are some what are some trends that you're liking? What are some what are some things you're seeing out there that uh, maybe to, you want to avoid or you could probably see them not lasting as long as you think they would? Yeah, in terms of trends to embrace, I've really been a fan of some big bold display face typography recently um, for brand and web and print. I just think that if you use it sparingly and in the right way, it can create a really gorgeous experience. Um, outside of that, I've really been a fan of unexpected contrasting color pairings. I've seen a lot of this used in web for a lot of brands that I follow that I admire. So that's something that I've been trying to force myself either to incorporate in personal projects that I experiment on or within client work just because I know myself as a designer, I naturally gravitate towards more minimal muted tones and just pushing myself to use those brighter, bolder colors has been really, really fun. Um, outside of that, just, you know, keeping up with trends has helped me know what to incorporate into design and what to avoid. In terms of knowing what to avoid, um, you know, at least for a lot of the women-owned businesses that I do work with, a lot that I've seen out there are really using um, like desert vibes as inspiration. So I'm seeing a lot of desert inspired color palettes with rust and pink and orange and yellow. And um, I see so many brands that are doing it, which is great, but you know, if everyone's doing it, how do you stand out? So that's something that I would say to push back on a little bit for now. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of abstract shapes used for brands that may not exactly make sense. Um, I think if you want to go with some bold shapes, if it makes sense for your brand, use them sparingly, maybe in a pattern or, you know, as a small piece of print work, but maybe try not to incorporate those um, abstract shapes into the overall brand identity, because again, that's something that I'm seeing a lot um, and it doesn't necessarily make sense for every brand out there. So those are just a few off the top of my head, but um I'm always just keeping my eyes open to see what I'm seeing a lot of because more often than not, when you start to see something trending and everyone's using it, maybe that's a red flag that it's something you should avoid using within your own work. Like if a client is dead set on those, do you just, you know, or is there, I mean, is there a way to talk a client out of like, look, I, I love the desert vibe. I love this. I love the, 
the nude tones um and as a designer do you just have to step back and go okay wh whatever you want like i've told i've told you my advice i told you i think it's overdone but uh if that's what you want to go with let's do it yeah it's a bit of a balance so if someone comes to me and they're dead set on a look and feel that i absolutely don't think is going to serve them or don't necessarily agree with and they communicate that to me in the initial outreach email Sometimes I'll just go ahead and say, hey, you know, I don't think that we're a fit for working together, but here are three designers I would love to refer you to who could help. Um, so that's one way that I can handle it. If I kind of get the vibe right off the bat that this client is going to be, you know, completely closed off to any of my feedback, it's just not even a relationship worth pursuing for either of us because, you know, neither of us are going to be happy during that working relationship. But if once I start working with the client and within their brief, they share with me that they're thinking about pursuing this idea, but I find falls a little bit more on the trendy side, we'll have a conversation about it and say, hey, you know, does this make sense for your industry? What will it, you know, evoke emotion-wise, feeling-wise in your ideal clients and customers? And if we come to the conclusion that it will, you know, evoke a positive response from those clients and customers, sure, you know, let's test it out and see how it goes and find a way to make it uniquely you. But if we come to the conclusion that, it just doesn't make sense for the business or for the ideal clients and customers, then we'll go back to the drawing board and come up with something new that feels more true to the brand. And again, you know, that's my job to steer those conversations and make sure that we're asking those tough questions. And, you know, more often than not, during those conversations, I ask questions that clients have probably never even asked themselves before in terms of understanding you know, the creative side of their business. So they're always productive conversations to have and I'm getting better at them with each time that I have to push back. But again, pushing back is not my favorite thing to do. Um, it takes a lot of practice, but it's also a part yeah, of my job. That makes perfect sense. Uh, here's one question. How can women-owned businesses stand out in 2020 and then moving into 2021? I would just say, you know, looking at your messaging first before you even think about branding is going to be key. I think more now than ever, people really value authenticity and inclusivity, you know, in being a brand. So just make sure that your message is cohesive across your social media, your website, and then look into integrating that as a part of your brand. But I think now more than ever, people can see through, you know, thinly veiled um, in authenticity. So just make sure that whatever you're going after, whether it's a brand design or a web design, make sure that it really radiates your core values because people are going to really appreciate that. What are some examples you've seen of authenticity or kind of like good practices? Is that because I think that we've heard that word a lot. Is it mean? Does that mean more unpolished looks or like you know more kind of less made up, you know, photoshopped self images, or does that mean? Uh, letting a typo kind of fly through every now and then like what are some how do you know when we say we want to be more authentic or want to show our brand's authenticity does that just mean kind of like you know opening the door a little bit more to the outside world kind of letting people in or what does that kind of look like now in 2020 yeah i would say it's a little bit of everything that you just mentioned um you know one brand that comes to mind is airy which is um, a line of swimwear and intimates. I believe they're owned by American Eagle, but don't quote me on that. Um, but I really admire them as a brand because, you know, from their actual logo to their messaging to the imagery shared on their website, it's all just very real. Um, you know, all of their images, you know, they aren't retouched. They show real women and, you know, various sizes modeling 
all of their different clothing, which I really think is great. And all of the messaging on their website as well, which is very down to earth. It's not really speaking down to the consumer or telling them what they need to purchase. Um, it's just more conversational and real, which I value. But, you know, when I say authentic branding, it's really the full picture of your brand identity. So logo, copy, messaging, imagery, all of that is what makes up your brand identity and all of that is so important. So I would say to a lot of people out there, if you feel like your brand is, you know, missing something or just feels a little bit off, take some time to step back and create your own brand audit and dive deep into what you're putting out there right now. And if you feel like it's something that needs to be tweaked within your own business, um, don't be scared to explore, you know, updating your own messaging or your own imagery, or even your own logo, just to make sure that it's really radiating who you are as an individual. Okay. All right. So, so Lindsay, where can we find your work? Uh, website, social media, plug away for it. Yeah. So you can find all of my work at lindsayscholes.com. Um, on the website, you'll find all of my recent design work. You'll find a shop where you can buy some templates for email marketing and some Pinterest resources. I also have a blog that's full of really great resources for creative entrepreneurs who may just be getting started. So definitely check that out. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Lind Scholl. Cool. All right. Well, well, Lindsay, thanks so much for being on the show. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Episode's over. Before you swipe away, I have two things for you to check out. Okay, maybe three, but just kind of stick with me. Number one is my daily email for photographers. Each day I'm sending out short, actionable lessons on how to improve the business side of your photography business. You'll learn about marketing, strategy, pricing your work, and so much more. Sign up for the first five lessons on jordanpanderson.com. It's my name with .com. It's, it's pretty easy to remember. Number two, and this is a big one, I'm offering one-on-one -on -one coaching for photographers who are looking to accelerate their business, get consistent leads, and build a brand they're proud of. Schedule a time to chat at jordanpanderson.com slash coaching. Last is number three. It's this podcast. I'm not asking you to subscribe or go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's a little bit, it's a little bit overdone. But I am asking you to go back, find an episode that resonates with you, download it, and give it a listen. My name is Jordan P. Anderson. I help photographers who hate marketing, and I'll see you on the next episode.